Well, September of uh, 2021, I uh, had a doctor's appointment. I, uh, I go to the VA, and I had uh, just a routine exam and um, blood work, all that sort of thing. I, I, I get in my truck to, uh, to drive home, and um, I just start crying. And for those of you who uh, spent any time with me know that uh, emotions are pretty close to the surface for me. But there was, uh, there was a, a period of time where I was, I was doing everything I could to, to suppress and hold back just this, uh, this curtain of grief. And for some reason that day, uh, it just started coming like a wave over and over, this darkness, uh, this deep, intense sadness. And... Um, and I knew then that uh, I didn't know what it was. Uh, what it was, I didn't know what, what was what was really going on. But I knew that I needed help. So um, I reached out to my friend Justin Bunn, who you'll, you'll hear from later today, and uh, he suggested sitting down with uh, with my my general practice doctor and uh, and talking about it. She prescribed um, a medication for me, an antidepressant, which I started taking. Uh, I reached out to another friend. Uh, a mature a mentor friend of mine who, uh, who pointed me towards counseling, towards therapy. And so over the period of, of several months, I, I worked through some stuff with this very godly counselor who uh, basically gently layer by layer began to look at issues of, of shame. Um, one of those layers was uh, my sister's death. Um, she uh, passed away from cancer. I was, I was 24 when I, I held her hand, and um, after the funeral, uh, we were scattering her ashes, and I said something really stupid. I was trying to use humor to uh, mask grief. And I don't know if anybody from my family heard it or even remembers it, but I, it stuck with me um, for many years. Uh, another layer of it was uh, the death of Marlon Harris. Um, Marlon and I, we were in the same platoon. Um, he was a, a black guy from St. Louis who told me that I was the first white guy he ever trusted. I got out of the army, and uh, he stayed in, but he went through a painful divorce, and... Um, and he took his own life. And in my mind, uh, he died alone. <clears throat> Another layer for me uh, was 9-11. Um, I'd gotten out of the army. I was going to college. Um, I was involved in a, a work accident. And... Uh, I was recovering from surgery with a titanium rod in my leg when uh, the towers collapsed. I couldn't go back into the military, but my friends did. They, they deployed, and some of them deployed several times. I went to class. Uh, another layer was uh, another suicide. Um, about a year after we moved here, my friend Randy Sheets, who was a Christian but also a pastor, took his own life. I didn't know how to reconcile that. And so with the help of, of this therapist, going layer by layer, began to see that there's some of those cognitive distortions that I talked about last week. One of those for me was, it's called emotional reasoning, where if you feel it, you think it's the truth. You, you feel it, so that, therefore that's, that's your reality. And so for me, <clears throat> I felt, I say stupid things. So why on earth would I be a preacher? For, for me, I, uh, I abandon my friends when they need me most. How on earth could I be a pastor? I am a coward. And I don't go where I'm needed to go. Instead, I stay behind. How can I instruct people to pick up crosses in a courageous way? And, and I'm, I'm faithless, and I'm, I, I'm struggling to, to reconcile very simple aspects of faith, like the goodness of God, and I'm struggling. How can I exhort other people in the faith? And so I, 
like I said, I, a layer by layer, this, this counselor began to shed light, to bring to the surface what it is that I'm thinking and feeling and believing and what is true and what is not true. And, and it wasn't just him. It was over, over the course of, of, of the time since then, um, I, I mentioned earlier this year that I, I went with some uh, army buddies. We, we met up uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, two friends of mine, they also served before 9-11, but not after I discovered they too feel that same strange, of, the same strange sense of guilt. Uh, but I also learned that they were there when Marlon died. He, they were with him. He wasn't alone. And it was, it was healing for me. And uh, afterwards, I, I processed that with, with Justin. And he, re, he showed me like, the, that I had been believing for a long time that I, uh, I abandoned my friends, that I abandoned uh, my brothers when they went to war and I stayed behind. And that's not the truth. And so I say all this to say that I got help. Like, the reality is, is I, I've experienced this, this grief and this, this very low point. Um, and, and the truth is, I still uh, battle with depression. I'll talk a little bit, you know, uh, more about that. But um, I got help. And my hope is, is that if I share this with you, that maybe you might look at somebody who's in my position and say, if he's willing to share that, then maybe I can deal with my stuff. That maybe I can begin to, to bring what is in the dark into the light, that I, I could begin to talk about uh, where I'm struggling in my mental and emotional health. Uh, that's the series that we're, we're in this morning. We're looking at mental and emotional health and, as it's tied to Advent. And uh, Advent is, is this time where we're waiting for the King's return. We, we see Christ as our Emmanuel, our God with us. And he enters in and he brings peace and he brings hope and he brings joy into the brokenness of our reality. If you weren't here last week, um, I'd, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen to that message. Uh, we talked about uh, why we're talking about uh, these, these struggles at, during Advent, um, the why behind that series. We talked about the limitations of this series, what this series can't accomplish, and then we began by diving into anxiety. Last week was anxiety. Today, we're going to talk about depression. Uh, but if you, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. The, the week before that, um, we talked about a spiritual discipline of silence and solitude. Recognizing that Jesus experienced fear, he experienced uh, intense sadness, he experienced uh, trauma. Where did the strength come from for him to face those situations? And when you look at the life of Jesus, what you discover is that frequently and often he got it away alone by himself or, or to spend time with the Father through the Spirit. Silence and solitude with the Father. That's where that strength came from. Um, and, and so that sort of serves as a backdrop and a, and a foundation for, for, for this series. Um, I'll remind you of the hope for this series, and it's twofold. One, uh, to begin a discussion that makes these conversations easier to be had. To create a safe place for you to begin to enter into having these discussions. Uh, two, to remind you that there is a present help in mental and emotional health. That we have the Spirit of God, that God has shown up, that, that he is present with us. Those are the two hopes for this series. Um, there's a lot to, to, to work through this morning. Um, I want to talk about where we're going briefly to give you kind of a roadmap for that. Um, first of all, we're going to talk about mental and emotional health in general. What is that supposed to look like? Um, secondly, we're going to talk about depression specifically. Uh, we're going to look at what it is, what are the, some of the symptoms of that. Third, we're going to talk about how to address it, recognizing that uh, we need to address it holistically, that we need to address the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, fourthly, we're going to hear a testimony from, from my friend Justin, um, and, uh, and then we're going to worship. Um, we, we only sang one song to begin with because the bulk of our, our worship singing is afterwards. And, and the reason for that is that a good way to respond is by singing. I know that for me, uh, singing worship songs, singing to Jesus helps me take my eyes off of what's going on here and put, put them elsewhere. Looking up, helping me focus on where my help does come from. My help doesn't come from in here. And so we're gonna finish by worshiping together. So 
Uh, the message is entitled Emmanuel, Our Peace in Depression. And I mentioned this last week that uh, there's interchange and interconnectedness you know, with, with all of these. Um, the, though there's, there, we're talking about peace in depression, that doesn't mean that there's not peace in anxiety or peace in trauma. Um, just because we talked about hope in anxiety doesn't mean there's not hope in depression or hope in trauma. They, all of these things are interconnected and interrelated. But for the sake of handling or putting a handle on these series, that's what we're, we're entitling them. Um, and so I want to begin with this. What is mental and emotional health? What is mental and emotional health? Um, a good definition, and we look through the lens of well-being, it includes health of mind, health of body, health of spirit, but here's a, a good definition to start with. Well-being is not a condition that one achieves after reaching some type of threshold of good feeling. Rather, it exists on a continuum, ranging from the states of very low well-being, including severe depression and hopelessness, to those of very high well-being, genuine happiness, that are sustained over time. Rather than simply existing to avoid pain, humans strive to experience pleasure, joy, completeness, and meaning. Um, the Christian Life Center uh, did a, a series on this earlier this year, and Pastor Stan Tharp gave this definition, which I think is helpful. Mental and emotional health is a state of well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, to realize their abilities and potential, to learn well and to work well and to contribute to their community. And, and from these, there's, there's three things that I want to point out. First, there's a continuum. When it comes to mental and emotional health, there, there's a continuum. There's a range of, of, of low to high, high to low. There's, there's a continuum. Second thing to recognize here is that it's measured over time, that you're not going to look at just one moment of your life and determine whether you're mentally or emotionally healthy. It's measured over time. And, and thirdly, it's how we cope that makes a difference. It requires coping, not hiding. So how we cope with our anxiety, depression, and, and trauma, that, that's what makes the difference. Okay. Um, uh, the, the analogy that, that he gave in his sermon that I'm just going to steal is the Jenga game. You guys ever play Jenga? Right. You begin the Jenga puzzle game by you know, erecting the Jenga tower, and we look at that and we think, well, that's what life's supposed to look like. Right? That's the goal. Like that, that is a complete sound structure. There's no holes, there's no cracks, and layer by layer, uh, it's neat, and it's organized, and it's stacked, and it's, it's unified, and that's what life is supposed to look like. But that's not what life looks like, does it? Life looks a little bit more like the second picture. That's the reality of life, right? Where, where we recognize that there are things that happen that knock our towers over. So, uh, to be a Christian doesn't mean that you look like a first tower. Or, or to have a, a, a second tower sort of approach, like if, if your life sort of looks like that, that doesn't mean that you're uh, an unrepentant Christian or you're a immature Christian or that you're a wounded Christian or that you're a spiritually weak person. It means you're a person. And in, in even the life of a Christian will look like this. And it's, it's not about trying to maintain a perfect tower. What's important in this is that we see that there's a continuum, there's a range, it happens over time, but it's how we cope. It's, it's how we go about rebuilding the tower again and again and again. A lifetime of rebuilding that tower. Um, Jesus, in, in Matthew 14, uh, he tells his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And they get in the boat, and they're, they're, they're going across the water, and a, a storm comes upon them, and there's lots of wind and waves, and, uh, and, and they're not able to get to their destination. And Jesus um, is actually walking on the water. And they look out, and they see him, and they think he's a ghost. And, and, and then when they realize it's him, they call out to him. And Peter says this to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I think what's, what's relevant about this is that, that, that life is, is a storm, oftentimes, Life is, is difficult and the wind and the waves are beating us down. It's a, it's a picture of chaos here. And, and what, what Peter does is while the wind is still blowing, while the sea is still uh, raging, he asks to come out to Jesus. And Jesus invites him to come. In other words, he doesn't wait for Jesus to calm the storm first. The storm isn't calmed until after 
Jesus calls to come to him in the storm. And Peter comes, or at least he starts to. And then he notices his situation. Then the circumstances begin to dawn and weigh on him, and he sees the wind, and then he begins to sink. Now, Jesus' approach to the storm, is, it's nothing to him. It's, it's a matter of his creation and his control. The most dangerous thing in a situation isn't the storm, it's Jesus. He's the most powerful one in the storm. To, to him, it's nothing. He sees it for what it is. But, but Peter, he, he begins to follow Jesus in the storm. And, and, and the reality is, is, is we are meant to follow Jesus in the storms. We were not meant to wait for Jesus to bring calm and peace before we begin to follow him. So, so life, if you have this image that, that mental and emotional health, if well-being is supposed to look like this perfect tower or if it's supposed to be calm waters, that's not the right picture. It's one of rebuilding and it's one of walking even, even in the storm. Let's talk about uh, depression specifically. What is it? Uh, depression is a, is a common but serious mood, de- uh, major de- uh, depressive order. I'm sorry, I got common but serious mood disorder. It causes severe symptoms that affect how a person feels, thinks, and handles daily activities, uh, such as sleeping, eating, or working. To be diagnosed with depression, five or more symptoms must be present for at least two weeks. There's different types of depression. Some of them are brought up about by, by circumstances in life. Uh, one type of depression is major depression. Uh, includes symptoms of depressed mood or loss of interest most of the time for at least two weeks that interfere with daily activities. Maybe a little bit more acute. Um, Persistent depressive disorder, this consists of less severe symptoms but over a longer period of time, maybe uh, lasting for at least two years. Thirdly, peripartum depression is depression that occurs during pregnancy or within four weeks of childbirth. Another one, seasonal affective disorder. That's a a form of depression that comes on in the late fall or early winter, and it lasts um, until the early spring. Uh, Often has to do with sunshine. I begin to experience this when I moved to the Pacific Northwest. I still experience this. If you look out there, the Ohio Dome has set in, and from about six weeks ago until about April, um, I struggle. Uh, Maybe some of you do too. Uh, another one, uh, depression with symptoms of psychosis. This is a, a severe form of depression uh, where there's, there's a, a break from reality. Um, you call, could also include in this, there's bipolar disorder where there's this, this wide range. Some people uh, experience severe lows, but then also severe highs. Um, but let's talk about symptoms. And, uh, and I want you to think carefully uh, for yourself, but also for uh, maybe friends or loved ones. Persistent, sad, anxious, or empty mood. Feelings of hopelessness or pessimism. Feelings of irritability, frustration, or restlessness. Feelings of guilt, worthlessness, or helplessness. Loss of interest or pleasure in hobbies and activities a person used to enjoy. Decreased energy, fatigue, or feelings slowed down. Difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. Difficulty sleeping, waking early in the morning or oversleeping. Significant increased or decreased appetite and or weight. Physical aches or pains, headaches, cramps, or digestive problems that do not have a clear physical cause and do not go away with treatment. Thoughts of death or suicide or suicide attempts. Some symptoms are related to mood and behavior. Here's some of those. Increased anger or irritability. Feeling restless or on edge, becoming withdrawn, negative, or detached. Increased engagement in high-risk activities greater impulsivity, increased use of alcohol or drugs, isolating from family and friends, inability to meet the responsibilities of work and family or ignoring other important roles, problems with sexual desire and performance. You look at these, this list of, of, of symptoms, and if, if the, the, the warning lights are going on, if the flags are being raised, then pay attention to that. It's okay to recognize there's a problem so that you can address the problem. So if we have an idea of what well-being is, right, we understand that well-being is not like some permanent state of perfection, that well-being is seen as a continuum and there's a range and it's measured over time and we understand that's how we cope with life. If we understand uh, what depression is and, and what it looks like and what its symptoms are, then how do we begin to, to deal with it? How do we begin to deal with it? I'm going back to something we pointed out last week, Genesis 1:27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
We talked about the fact that we are dependent beings, that if we wanna know who and what we are, we have to look to the one who made us. We are made in the image of God. If you wanna understand who and what you are, look at who and what God is. And when we, when we look at scripture and what we see about God is that he's made us with minds and bodies and spirits. And all three of them must be addressed in order to treat our emotional and mental health and our well-being holistically, holistically. Um, so let's talk about the mind first. Got to address the mind. Um, we're going to look at the spiritual aspects here at, at, at the end. But in the book of Job, uh, at the end of it, uh, God reveals himself to Job. And he does this through like this really powerful sermon he gives him. But the sermon primarily is about um, his, uh, his, his, God's mind. Like, he talks about creation and the order of it and uh, the, his authority of it and the intricacy of it and the complexity of it. And, and you look at creation, what you see is there is a brilliant, infinitely brilliant mind behind all of this. I wanna read uh, just briefly to you some of the, some of the things that we, we see in, in this sermon that God gives to Job regarding, regarding his, his, his ordered mind and the order of creation. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined it, its measurements, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? Who shut the sea in with doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made clouds its garment? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn? Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Where is the way to dwelling of light? Have you entered the storehouses of snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed and where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you hunt the prey for the lion? Or who provides for the raven its prey? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Who has let the wild donkey go free? Do you give the horse his might? Is it by your understanding that a hawk soars? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up? And just over and over and over again, there's picture after picture after picture of God's brilliant mind in creation. All of these things work. How is it that... that the constellations are put together and how a bird's wing lifts it into the, like all of these intricacies and, and, and things that God has a mind. And as beings made in his image, we have a mind. And God, he articulates, he uses language, right? That's how he spoke the universe into existence. That's how he's communicated to us in his word. Like he uses language. God thinks and God speaks, therefore beings made in his image will think and will speak. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind, the NASB says. A sound mind, the, the Greek word for that is sophronismos. It, it means a self-control when it comes to the way that we think. Through counseling, I was able to see that there were things that I was thinking that didn't make sense. There were things that I was thinking and that I was speaking and saying to myself that were not true. And, and through thinking and using language, a good therapist was able to draw that out and show it to me. But we have minds. We, we have a, a creator who has a mind because God has a mind who thinks and speaks. You have a mind and you think and you speak. And that's partly involved in healing. Secondly, to be made in his image means to be beings wrapped in flesh. We have bodies. We have bodies. And, and we understand when we look at, especially the Gospels, that God took on flesh. That the second person of the Trinity became human. That he was uh, born as we are born and lived as we live. He was fully God and fully human. In fact, one element of Christology, one doctrine says that Christ remains human forever. He has a body. We were created in that image. He, his life, his physical life pointed us and reflected us to what God is like. But we have a body. And, 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 and the reality is, is that, that depression is affected by the body and body affects depression. But body is affected. And for, for me, 
understanding how the brain works. Like, the, this, the brain thinks, and we need to address the mind, but also the brain is, a, is an organ. It's a physical organ. It has an amygdala. That's the part of the brain that regulates emotions like anger, pleasure, and fear. There's the hippocampus, which um, is, is part of, uh, of where cortisol uh, comes from. That's where fight, flight, or freeze, those instincts when, when, when you feel fearful, where where the, that, that, that's addressed from. There's the thalamus, which is um, uh, a place where uh, sensory information regulates good or bad feelings. But see, your brain is an organ, and it functions a lot of ways through chemical interactions. There's neurotransmitters called serotonin, which uh, regulates sleep and mood. There's norepinephrine, which affects motivation for things. My doctor prescribed to me a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I couldn't memorize that. But what it basically means is that it's a chemical that my brain needed in order to hold on to serotonin. There was, there was a neurological, chemical thing happening in my brain, and when I began to take this medicine, it helped. And the reality is, is I think that there's, there, there's some Christians who look at that and say, that's faithless. That to treat uh, um, an issue of mental health with, with medication, um, that, that's faithless. You should, you should just pray and it should just be okay. Uh, and the reality is if, if like one of you walked in this morning and, and your arm was like at an angle, right? Would any of you like say, oh, I'm glad you're here for prayer. We're gonna take care of that this morning. Or would you say, can I drive you to the hospital? Right, like, God has given us the gift of knowledge and medicine, right? We, we wouldn't tell a person with a broken arm, let me, just, let me just pray over that. I'm not saying that God can't heal that, but I'm saying God has given us the gift of medicine to heal that. And he's given us a body that once that bone is set, can heal. Secondly, like, would you tell somebody with, with diabetes who has a, a, an insulin pump, that's faithless. Insulin is, is, is something a person, some people don't have enough of it in order to, to have the energy the body needs. So there's a pump to help that. Would you tell that person that that's faithless to have that? No. So why do we do that when it comes to medicine for our neurobiology, our neuroscience, right? Um, we have bodies because we were created in the image of God. And we need to address the mind and we need to address the body, but we also need to address the spirit. We are spiritual beings and we were made to relate to God in a spiritual way. Um, turn with me to, over to, to Job. We're gonna spend the rest of our time here. The truth is the Bible addresses mental and emotional health and depression. Um, we actually see it almost uh, at the very beginning. You look at uh, Genesis 9, There's a, there was a flood and God, he, he saved one man and his family out of that flood. It was a pretty traumatic event. How did Noah handle that? He got drunk. Not a great example of how to handle it, right? Um, but we look at the Psalms and we see uh, uh, everywhere, like people crying out to God and asking God, where are you in this, in this pain? Like Psalm uh, 10, where the writer cries out, why, O Lord, do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Right, or Psalm 69, hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. I think this one's especially graphic. Psalm 6, six I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. We talked about Elijah last week, and Elijah experienced anxiety. I think he experienced depression. It's pretty evident in the fact that he asks God to end his life. You think about the book of of Lamentations, a whole book that's dedicated to mourning for the loss of Jerusalem as its inhabitants are taken away into captivity. The Bible ad addresses this, and I think Job is, is especially helpful. And so we look at how Job begins. Job chapter one, beginning in verse one, it says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So you, the story begins with a guy who's got a Jenga castle that's perfectly built. 
right? He's, he's got it all together, layer by layer, without holes, without fractures, without breaks. He's got a strong structure, but something's gonna happen that's just gonna knock it over. Verse six, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them, or came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So God points to Job and says, here's a blameless and upright man. And Satan was like, well, of course he is. It's because you've given him everything. Right, he's, he's won the lottery. Of course he's going to, to, to serve you. But I, but I bet you take away his prosperity and he'll curse you. So God says, I'll let you have him, but don't touch his flesh. So overnight, Job loses all of that livestock, either through theft or being burned or, or what other else happens, um, uh, stolen, and, and, and his servants, many of them are killed. Only a handful are, are there to bring him the bad news. His kids uh, are all in one house celebrating, and, a, and, and some wind uh, uh, comes upon the house, and the whole house collapses on, tie, on top of them. He, he, he loses everything overnight. His, his tower gets knocked over. And how does he respond? Verse 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Is Job okay? No. He's not okay. He's, he's lamenting, he's mourning, he's coping, he's dealing, he's facing. He's ripping his clothes, he's shaving his head, but he's also worshiping. Let me ask you, when your tower gets knocked over, what happens? How do you cope? What do you turn to when life falls apart? How do we cope? Uh, I know for me, my tendency, especially when uh, the days look like that and the, the gloom sets in, my tendency is I want to um, I, I want to crawl into bed and cover the covers over my head. Um, I want to listen to depressing music. I was a teenager in the 90s, and 90s artists know depression. Like, I, I'll go back and listen to Simon and Garfunkel, right? Hello, darkness, my old friend. That's a good place to start, but, you know, it's usually going to be Smashing Pumpkins and Death Cab later. Like, to, to wallow in that to some degree. And I want to eat the wrong things and drink the wrong things, and I just want to turn to the wrong things over and over again. Now, I, I've learned, you know, we talk about the, the body aspect of all this. I've learned that there are things that help. Exercise, eating right, getting light, taking vitamin D, like those sort of things help and affect the body, right? Those things aren't ultimate things. They're good things. They're not ultimate things. They're not things to worship. And ultimately what we see in Job is he turns to worship God. He's dealing, he's, he's coping, but he's worshiping God. And it says there at the end, it, it says, uh, in all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. We have a choice we can sin or we can worship. Sometimes sin is just simply putting, looking at something as a savior when only Christ could be our savior. Job worshiped. The next chapter, there's another divine counsel and Satan is there and God points out that Job still holds fast his integrity. You didn't win that one, Satan. Then Satan answers the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. So uh, now he's going to go at Job in a physical way. He's going to attack his, his body. Job gets sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. Painful sores. I don't know what that would be like. And then Job does something, and I don't know if it, it helped the situation or made it worse, but he takes a pottery shard and he scrapes all of those boils and sores. He knows physical pain. And, and Satan's on to something here. Uh, because physical pain is, 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 is a cause of depression, and depression causes physical 
pain. Uh, one study showed that uh, people who experienced chronic, painful physical condition, they reported a long, longer duration of depressed mood than people that, that didn't have chronic pain. That, 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 that pain is actually um, a predictor of depressive morbidity. That, that physical pain can lead to depression, and depression can actually lead to physical pain. It's like a downward spiral. So Job is, is, is enduring intense physical pain, and, uh, and then his wife shows up, and she says, curse God and die. His response to her, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Should we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? All this Job did not sin with his lips. So um, talking about irritability a little bit there, uh, he's, he's addressing his wife in this way. It may be justly so. But he responds to her, but then he says something very telling. He says, should we not receive evil from God? What is that indicating? There's, there, there's, a, there's a cognitive distortion that's happening there. He's beginning to see that it's possible that God is the bringer of the evil. There's a finger that's beginning to be pointed there. It says that he didn't sin with his lips, but there's something beginning to happen in Job's heart towards God, and it actually takes most of the rest of Job to, to, to bring that out. But his wife is, is no help. Let me ask you, uh, who do you turn to when you're suffering? When life falls apart, who helps you cope? The reality is, is some people are not turning to anybody. A lot of people are turning internally. A lot of people are isolating from the world, from anybody, from relationships, family, friends. They're experiencing these things, and they're isolating, and there's no help to be found there. But some people are turning to relationships, but, but the nature of those relationships matter. Who and what are those, those people pointing you to? Job's wife said, curse God and die. Do you have people like that in your life? You have people that are, that are telling you, like, if you're experiencing this, it means God's not with you, God doesn't love with you, he, he, he's either not good or he's not great, you should, you should abandon all hope and reject that God. Who are people, or what are people pointing you to? Do you have people in your life that will point you to Jesus? They'll point you to the, to the truth. Um, uh, Job's wife isn't a help, but we're introduced to three other people who are also not helps in the story of Job. He has three friends, um, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who show up. And uh, they, they take turns. One speaks into Job's life and, and rather lengthy speeches. And then Job responds with a rather lengthy speech. And then another friend speaks and it's rather lengthy. And then Job responds and it's rather lengthy. Anyway, uh, they all take turns. And then there's three cycles of this. But essentially, all this to, to make two points. From the, the point of view of, of Job's friends, the why behind his suffering is you sinned and God's punishing you. That's why you're going through this, Job. That's why you're experiencing this suffering. You've sinned and God's punishing you. Job's response is to, to, to defend himself. No, I'm righteous and God's unjust. I'm righteous, God shouldn't be uh, allowed this to happen to me, so therefore he's unjust. All this, there's three cycles of, uh, of this. And if you were here last week, I pointed this out, I wanna point it out to you again. If you are in Christ and you are experiencing struggles with mental health, including depression, it is not because God is punishing you. If you are in Christ, you need to know that at the cross, Jesus says, it is finished and there is an end, there is a completion to God's wrath against your sin. There is not a drop of it left. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through, but I know what it's not. It's not God's punishment for your sin. Now, Job's response is to, to claim his own righteousness and that God's unjust. Now, what's interesting is that God never actually declares that Job is unrighteous. In fact, at the very end, he does declare Job's righteousness. But as to the fact that God is unjust, uh, we see another friend show up and uh, his name is Elihu, and, and he shows up to rebuke Job too, but he, he has a different approach. He doesn't say it's because of, of punishment of sin. He says that the reason why you're going through this is to, to help bring out character, to, to help you know, change uh, you are and make you a better person sort of thing. But what we tend to see in, in the Job's friends, though, is that this is the wisdom of the world speaking into pain. 
And, and generally, it's you deserve it or, you know, it's, it's, it's going to make you stronger, right? That sort of stuff. Then God shows up, though. Um, God reveals himself to Job. Um, God, as I, as I said, he preaches this really powerful sermon to Job, uh, talking about his wisdom and his sovereignty and, and, and all of these things. But, but God enters into Job's story. God descends. God gets onto Job's level. God gets into Job's face. God questions him. And it's through this, this encounter that Job learns two things. One, God is sovereign. He is sovereign, but he's also present. He's sovereign, he's in control, but he also sees and he hears and he knows and he's present. So that Job gets to the point where he can say this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. We saw this with Elijah last week, how Elijah, he experienced the power of God right through the wind and the earthquake and the fire, but that wasn't where God was. God was in the whisper. Elijah experienced the power of God, but he experienced the presence of God. And here, Job, he's experiencing the power of God's sovereignty, but he's also experienced the presence of God. God descends. Emmanuel, God with us. He shows up. He enters in. That's what Job experiences. Job never finds out why. God never says, let me explain what happened. Let me explain what's going on. Let me give you an explanation for, for why this is that. Job never gets that. But he does know this. God is sovereign and God is present. I look at things that I've experienced in life and I don't know why my sister died of cancer. And I don't know why Randy and Marlon took their lives. I don't know why 9-11 happened or why I couldn't participate in it after. I don't know why so many things in life have happened. But I know God is sovereign and he's present. He's sovereign and he's present. The book of Job ends with, with basically three things that happen. One, God does declare Job to be righteous. He affirms him. But two, Job prays for his friends. And then three, God restores Job's Jenga tower. Like he gives him back everything. And there's, there's three points that I want us to, to take away from, from this aspect. How we deal spiritually, how we address spiritually to, 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 to what we're talking about. Um, the first is this. This side of Christ's return, don't expect a perfect Jenga castle. All right? This side of the return of Christ, that's not gonna happen. The perfect tower. However, this side because of what Christ has done in entering in, because of the giving of the Holy Spirit, because of the power that now lives in the heart of the believer. We now have this. We have the, the ability to cope rebuilding the tower over and over and over again with the help of our Heavenly Father. We're not alone. Secondly, as Job prayed for his friends, we are to intercede on behalf of others. As Christ took on flesh and entered into our neighborhoods to live among us, as he became our God with us, so he sends us to be in, incarnate into people's lives, to go into where they are. One of the questions that we asked in our house church this week was, can you identify when people are struggling? Can you look in, into the relationships that you have with people and can you see things in their lives that, that are red flags that may, maybe you should be following up on and you should be asking about and you should be inquiring about? Do you see any of that? Like, for us to, to, to enter into one another's lives in an incarnate way, as Christ did for us. Thirdly, one day we will have the perfect tower. One day, life will be that. It will be complete. It will be whole. It will be neat and layer by layer upon layer, strong and sturdy forever. No more sorrow, no more pain. No more anxiety, no more depression, no more rebuilding, as he'll build it once and for all, permanently forever. That's the hope that we have. Now, what this all adds up to be, for me, I believe this is one of our strongest apologetics. As Christians, I believe that 
if we would talk sincerely, honestly, openly, biblically about emotional and spiritual and mental health, this could become a good, good apologetic for us. Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Look, if we are Christians, if we're going around pretending like our towers are perfect, if we're going around with masks and facades on like everything's okay and everything's fine, all the waters are smooth sailing for us, then one, it means we don't need hope because we already got what we need. But two, there's nothing for the world to look at and see I want to understand that. If, however, we'd be honest and say, my life is a, is, a, is a knocked over Jenga tower and I'm just trying to rebuild it. Life is hard and I'm struggling. But I have hope. So that the world would look at that and say, you have hope, what do you have hope in? What is your hope? That we have a sovereign God who is present with us. That's a form of hope the world is in desperate need of. What if that became our apologetic? What if we lived such lives that welcomed people in, invited them into our brokenness and, and our struggles so that we could point them to the hope that we have in Jesus? Stop pretending to be all right. Stop pretending to be perfect. Be somebody dependent. Be dependent. Find peace, even if it's in depression. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to talk to you. I walked down the road. Um, I want to pray, and I want to invite uh, Justin Bunn up, uh, who's going to give his testimony this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your care and your concern and your attentiveness. Thank you for the fact that you see and you hear, you know what we're experiencing and you've entered into it. There's nothing that we are experiencing that you haven't experienced except for sin. You know our, our struggles. I pray this morning that we would be reminded that, um, that you're with us in them. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who um, has been living in isolation, that you would call them out of that. Call them into the light, into your care and your concern, and help us to minister to them. Thank you for Justin. Thank you for the story you've given him. I pray that you will bless him as he speaks and encourage us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. say this in the last service and I want to say it before I get started. Um, Justin, I just really appreciate you sharing your story and I, I think that um, having your pastor share about his own story is so powerful. So thank you for, for doing that. Okay. My journey as a Christ believer with depression. Um, good morning. As Justin shared, my name is Justin Bunn, and I genuinely appreciate the opportunity to come before all of you this morning to share about the ups and downs of my journey with depression. It was interesting in preparing to share my testimony, to think back on when my depression started, and honestly, it's kind of a hard thing to pinpoint. I grew up in a great Christian home with wonderful parents, John and Susie Bunn, who many of you probably know. And while I certainly had my difficult moments and struggles with anxiety in my educational pursuits, I was a fairly happy-go-lucky kid who loved to talk to anyone who would listen and also listen to anyone who needed an open ear. I had known the Lord for many years, asking him into my heart when I was around five to six years old, and then reaffirming my faith in high school following a life-changing experience serving at the Bowery Homeless Men's Mission in New York City when I was 16 years old. I encountered a man named Lloyd living in that shelter. 
In a past life, he was a roadie for the Rolling Stones, and he shared about the many incredible experiences he had. I will never forget Lloyd. He was one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Unfortunately, he also developed an addiction to substances that ultimately almost cost him his life. At rock bottom, he met our Savior, and it changed everything. He shared the gospel with me in a way I'd never heard it, honestly. From the perspective of a man who literally lost everything and how Christ became his everything. And Christ could be my everything, too. Jesus became so real to me that day and has been ever since. A few years later, I began dating my beautiful wife, April. At the end of our senior year, we were high school sweetheart adjacent. We dated through undergrad with a nine-month hiatus during our sophomore year. It's a long story, uh, but we needed it. We graduated from Miami of Ohio, and I began attending a doctoral program in clinical psychology in Indianapolis while April began medical school locally at Wright State. When I look back, this is when my depression began to develop in an impactful way. As I mentioned earlier, I have struggled with academic anxiety and self-doubt for many years. I still do. And this became more apparent while I was in graduate school. I did not, it did not help that I was geographically separated from my then fiance, which continued into my early married life. After completing graduate school and internship, I began to practice as a clinical psychologist at the Dayton VA Medical Center, working with a program who treated and supported veterans with diagnosed severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, PTSD, and chronic depression. I love this population of veterans, and it was an honor to work with them. But it was also a very challenging population at times, and as I look back, I now realize the toll it was taking on my experience of worsening depression and its impact on my family and friends. In men, one of the most often experienced symptoms of depression is irritability, where you constantly feel on edge. It is like a pot of boiling water, always simmering with anger and resentment that eventually boils over to outbursts of anger and even rage. Unfortunately, irritability was something I was experiencing on an almost constant basis, causing me to engage in my cognitive or thought distortions, which Justin has shared about, which led me to believe others around me, my family, friends, and coworkers were against me, and I believed the problem wasn't me, it was those around me. I was living with a constant self-doubt, which led to low self-esteem, feeling down, which is also called depressed mood, almost every day, which led to a desire to isolate, to turn my negative thoughts inward, and feel agitated towards others. An example that highlights these symptoms and behavioral responses to worsening depression occurred in late 2013. We were preparing to leave for church on a Sunday morning, and I had not slept well that night before which unfortunately wasn't uncommon at that point. Another symptom of depression. And I was feeling very irritable, frustrated, and honestly, I was ready for a fight. In my agitation, I picked a fight with my wife, which escalated into our drive to church. I don't know if anyone's had that experience. And eventually led to me pulling the car over a few blocks from our home in the snow and after screaming at everyone, I began to walk back. I began to walk back to our home with April driving next to me, pleading for me to get back into the car and with both of our children crying in the back seat, likely out of fear and confusion for what was occurring. I walked all the way home, went into our room to isolate and after venting to myself, I began to sob completely overwhelmed and grasping to pull myself out of the incredibly deep hole of depression I was in. I wish I could say I grasped toward and clung to the Lord, but I did not. Instead, I leaned into other things for comfort, and unsurprisingly, they did not help. But one of the many amazing things about the Lord is those who he puts in our lives when we struggle and stray off of his path. I cannot thank my amazing wife, April, my parents, my brother and sister, our best friends, Nick and Jen Van Horn, and so many more. The community of God is so vital to lean into when we struggle with depression, anxiety, and trauma. Referencing back to when I was walking back from my home in the snow with my family driving next to me, it must have been a sight to see, honestly. 
this moment, among many others, truly began to unfold and highlight the severity and chronicity of the depressive episodes I was experiencing, and how significant the impact was on my marriage, my role as a father, son, and providing psychological treatment to veterans I was charged to serve. I want to be clear here. There were so many times during this period where I felt joy, love, hope, and so many wonderful feelings. By 2015, I was a proud father of three amazing children. The Lord had gifted to myself in April, and mission trips to Haiti, serving in our house church, and loving those around us never changed. But over time, it became more difficult for me to hide my depression, to hide my irritability, to be okay. As a psychologist who loves Jesus, I always assumed I would be able to figure it out. The Lord was utilizing my skills to help veterans heal from depression, anxiety, and other significant mental illnesses, but I couldn't heal myself, no matter how much I had learned and what my profession was. This was very hard for me. I never wanted to fail those around me. I didn't want to let my family and my patients down, but things were worsening. Following the sudden death of a veteran by suicide who I had been treating for many years, it was too much and I broke down in a way that I had not before. I guess you could call it my emotional and spiritual rock bottom. I was so broken and struggling to know what to do. The cognitive thought distortions grew louder and more pronounced. Was I worth anything? I was failing God. I was failing my family and my veterans. I had, never been to the, I had never been this depressed and lost. I knew I was drowning, but I didn't. <laughs> but I didn't know what to do. But then it happened. My amazing wife reached out to our primary care physician, who we share, and shared about my symptoms of depression the week before when she saw him and asked him to help me. At my yearly appointment, he asked me about my symptoms and I was so mad. I knew there was only one person who could have known the information he was asking about, my lovely wife. But thankfully, by the grace of God, my eyes and ears were opened at that moment. And he shared about the possible life changes that could be made and then he inquired about my interest in medication. I was not interested. I had encouraged my veterans for many years to take medication for mental health conditions because they needed it. I did not. I thought, I'm a professional. I can figure it out. But thankfully, in that moment, the Lord made me pause. Could medication help? Of course it could. And it was time. My treating physician recommended a medication called Wilbutrin, also known as bupropion. And it was a medication I was very familiar with in, mental, in the mental health world I worked in. We discussed trialing the medication, and with my symptoms primarily reflecting chronic depressed mood and irritability, Wilbutrin seemed the best route to potentially decrease my experiences of depressed mood and irritability while providing the potential for increased energy and motivation, which had been significantly reduced by my depression. Within four to six weeks, so much changed. I was so much less irritable, less angry, less hostile, more calm, sleeping better. I was more motivated, more, I had more energy, and honestly, I was just a kinder person. I found myself being able to be patient with my wife, my children, my friends, and family, and I could focus when providing psychotherapy. I felt so much better, so much more hope. And I found myself so much closer to the Lord because I was no longer as impeded by my depression. The medication had taken the edge off. I could finally see through the darkness. Now I want to be clear. Medication is not the savior. Only the Lord can save. But my true belief is that the Lord provides things like medication on this earth to aid us to provide opportunities to address the chemical aspects of our brain physiology that are clearly impacted by depression and so many other mental health diagnoses. I would also consider, I would encourage you to consider your family tree as well. Look up the tree, see if there's anything that you notice. It's important to know those things too. 
I want to also emphasize the impact of my village, my Christ family, those who loved me through all of it in spite of myself. I also want to emphasize the importance of mentorship in our journeys with life's difficulties. For many, this is mental health difficulties. Through the mentorship of John Jung, a licensed professional clinical counselor and family friend who literally was at my birth, along with Larry Bissett, a dear friend and man of the Lord, I was able to process many of my cognitive thought distortions, difficult life events, family and work stressors, and so much more. We need Christ-centered mentorship, no matter what the circumstances might be. So in the past five years, I have continued to experience the victories and defeats of life, but with growing closer to the Lord, opening up about my experience of depression with family, friends, and others who the Lord puts into my path, I continue to heal. Depression is likely a, a part of my path and story going forward, and that's okay. Because as 2 Corinthians 5.17 constantly reminds me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. I have continued to take Wilbutrin, continued to feel the blessing of the love and support of my wife and kids, my parents, my family, and so many others. I continue to engage in mentorship both as a mentee and mentor. It is so important. What I have learned most through this journey is God is so good. All the time, God is so good. I have also learned and experienced how helpful medications for depression, anxiety, and other mental health difficulties can be. I think John chapter 1, verse 3 through 5 may be important to consider in this context. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He provides all things for us to live and thrive in the darkness of the world, and I think medication is one of those things. I am not in a position to tell anyone what is right for them, but if my story resonates with anyone here this morning, I would encourage you to pray and consider what the Lord might use to help you. Prayer, scripture, and community are so powerful, and sometimes we just need a few more things to help us on our journey to walk with Jesus always. Thank you.